Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Today, we have another special guest, Kim Wolf, who is a behavior analyst who I first met about 10 years ago, or maybe more now, uh, at Simmons College in Boston, Massachusetts, while we were pursuing our master's degree in behavior analysis before becoming board certified behavior analyst. In 2015, Kim relocated here to the island of Oahu on the north shore of the island in the town of Haleiwa, where we happened to reconnect and live and work together and volunteer on the board of the Hawaii Association for Behavior Analysts. Please join me in welcoming Kim. Kim, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Can you do a quick introduction? Just give everyone a brief overview of who you are, who we have on the line. I am Kim Wolf. I'm a behavior analyst currently residing in Northeast Ohio. All right. Thanks, Kim. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been a behavior analyst? About a little over 10 years. <laughs> uh, a decade. Yeah. Uh, I know. Old, young, not sure yet, but established. So that's excellent. So thanks for joining us. One of the things that you and I had talked about um, to setting prior to setting up today's call was, you know, what it's like for parents. Um, now, you're a provider. I'm a provider. And um, you, you have children, and I don't. But, you know, we're talking about kind of like from the provider end of things, what it's like for parents who are, undergoing part of an initial evaluation or who are seeking out sort of that that first round of assessments after a diagnosis. And um, I know you're interested in helping parents, you know, ask the right questions and have the right information. But can you start by just sharing with us some of your experiences? You know, what have you seen parents who are coming to you as the first provider um, for them? Like, what are some of the confusions or misconceptions? I think I'm still, even after 10 years of practicing, somewhat still in shock that they're still confused as to what the next steps are and how to navigate the right type of programming or treatment for their kids. So, I mean, whether it's my first year as a behavioralist and even today, it still continues to shock me that there's somehow not enough dissemination of some sort or not enough information as to what are the next steps and how do I access the right type of services and who and how do I find quality services? So much of you know services and what families are able to access is very dependent on where they live and and also you know what information they're empowered with. So as a behavior analyst who's worked in multiple locations, you know the Boston area, Nashville, Korea, Hawaii, Ohio, you know when you think about the differences in services or the differences in information. What are some of the the major, um, you know, changes you see and what are some of the similarities that you've encountered? I think one, personally, like just from moving, you know, I recently left uh, Hawaii and resided in Ohio and even, so there, I'm sure there are plenty of great practitioners here. I know Dr. Bill Heward is in FAR. He's at um, OSU, Ohio State University. But it was hard for me to navigate, like, who are my community members and who are expertise in which area. So if I had a parent who came to me and said, I would like a behavior analyst, you know, covering this area, I just couldn't really access that. 
And unless I really had to go out of my way beyond, you know, my work hours and, and, and kind of spreading myself, you know, thin with my family and try to figure out who is in my area and who has what area of expertise. Um, that's probably the first step of the, the struggle for me to be able to even just provide that information. Yeah, I think about, you know, I had a friend of mine in California whose child had been diagnosed, and they said, you know, we were told to find an ABA provider. How do we do that? And they didn't know what ABA was, and they were really kind of peeved at the fact that they were being recommended for 40 hours. They were like, why do we need so much of it? Is is my child doing so poorly? Um and I let them know that, you know, actually that's a recommendation a lot of families seek after if they, you know, can access it, if their child needs that level of intensity. But where do you go and find those services? And their pediatrician knew that behavior analysis was recommended but didn't know where to send them. And basically she said, you know, they gave us a little printout of a piece of paper that said call you know, your local EI provider. And um, the early intervention provider in that area was talking about, you know, one visit, 30 minutes a month, mm-hmm. and calling that intensive services. And it's it's just not. So for families, they're going online, right? They're a lot of times going to the University of Google. Mm-hmm. And um, when they find somebody like yourself or myself, you know, we want to be able to be equipped and provide them with information. So you make some really great points about how to access that. And um, in Hawaii, you were involved in the Association for Behavior Analysts, the state chapter mm-hmm. there, HABA. Um, do you see that as being a critical role for behavior analysts in their area, in their state? Or, or how do, what do you see as the role of the state chapter in informing behavior analysts? I think having a live, living in at least two or more states and, and across, and, you know, between the United States and one other country, um, I thought HABA was like the gold golden standard of being able to disseminate information to not just other behavior analysts, but to also parents who came to the state chapter and said, I, this is the type of services I'm looking for. Who do you recommend? And then it, because it, it probably has to do with the location being in the middle of the ocean <laughs> um, and kind of in its own bubble, but, you know, everyone was able to say, you know, go to this person if you want this area of expertise. So if it's educational um, consultation, in classroom, using applied behavior, and this person, that's their area of expertise. Someone who can handle a dual diagnosis, this is their area. And that felt like a much more of a community sense where I find now, having moving, I think I am in a situation where I'm trying to learn uh, what is the ABA community here, how do I recommend um, and how do I kind of create that community here? It's it's a lot. It's very different um, culturally. It's very different. Um, well, we yeah yeah we talk a lot about cultural um, expectations and relevance, and I think from even my own expectations or history, I think oh Hawaii must be so much more uh, a need for cultural considerations. But Ohio has the same kind of needs for consideration, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what is the, the accepted standards and norms? What are people used to doing? You know, are is it a community where people can advocate and give pushback? Or is it, you know, everyone kind of knows each other? And that's not just going to be dependent on, you know, ethnic or socioeconomic mm-hmm. uh, situations or characteristics. It, it's definitely going to be, independent or dependent on some of those things as well. 
Question for you, though. What do you see as some of the, the similarities as far as challenges or in accessing services from, you know, like your transition from Hawaii to Ohio? Well, I would say I was just thinking if we would have backtracked simply if, you know, a parent walked into into a session with me today and said, why would I want you with 10 years over someone else who's also board certified? You know, if everyone is board certified, um, you know, receiving the same expectation past you know, the BACB's requirements, why one person over the other? I think that's the challenge that we're all trying to figure out, even, you know, as me as a parent, why would I choose one doctor over another? And trying to explain that to them in the most professional manner, in a very objective manner, um, I think that information isn't out there, and how do we disseminate that, and how do we sort sort it out? I mean, is there ever truly a way, you know? You know, do I want a surgeon who's doing heart surgery with 20-plus years experience, or do I want someone who's fresh out of medical school who is up to date with everything? So I think that we're back to that challenge, right? So it's just not even across Hawaii and Ohio, but here's here's the common source of confusion that parents have when they first just walk through the first five minutes and trying to figure out why you and not someone else. Or maybe there are also parents who just don't even consider it. They're like, just just make something happen because it's, it's a stressful situation. Um, but it's a very valid point for a parent to, to kind of question why, why you and not someone else. What would you say to a parent who, who's wondering that? What, like if, you know, there are times where you might recuse yourself from a case, even given your level mm-hmm. of experience, what what are some of the, the the questions that you encourage families to ask? Well, usually parents would start that way. I, I my first question is, what is their concern? So, what is the history um, with the previous clinics or behavioral they've come across? What were their concerns about them? Was there something that occurred that didn't you know really jive with how they wanted their kid to learn something? Um, and try to really gather a, a basic understanding of. How do they even approach that question? Or are they just sincerely confused how to select the appropriate provider for them? Um, and asking them what it is they want out of it. But most of the time when I get to that point, you know, they don't even know what they want out of it because it's it's already just to have a child first diagnosed. It's it's a hard way to navigate. So it's just at the end of the day, then we have to also bring in, you know, what's less scientific is 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 to how Everyone works different. You know, every BCBA has a slight different background. So at that point, it's almost for the family, you know, some doctors you work really well with and you have a great rapport and some doctors you don't. What makes those doctors that you personally see, you know, maybe a physical exam or your allergies you see every week, what makes that specific doctor or someone that you have a great relationship with? So perhaps getting them to list out those characteristics because um, you can have the greatest behavior in the world, but if you don't really have a great rapport, are you more likely or less likely going to follow the instruction? Same I relationship have, as you would have with a client. Yeah, I have a connection with what you're saying, and it, it brings me back to something um, that one of my mentors has said, which is, you know, you're not going to be the behavior analyst for everybody, and that's okay. And you know, knowing that there are times where, hey, maybe I have the most knowledge in the room or maybe I know who does, but that isn't what makes a relationship or that isn't what's going to get the buy-in. And we know that in order to have 
you know, effective implementation of a behavior plan, you have to have fidelity with its implementation. You have to have trust. You have to have buy-in. So I think some of the things that I would take away from what you're saying is, you know, families should feel like the person they're working with is approachable. They should feel like they mm-hmm. can answer and ask questions of that person. They should be able to talk about their history and their expertise, as you mentioned. Um, the family may also want to share their concerns. You know, I've learned um, through my own experiences, having worked as a school uh, counselor, I learned to start talking about things as a place of like, hey, I'm afraid that this might happen, or my worry is that this is going to be an outcome versus Mm -hmm. we have to do it this way because, you know, and then fill in the blank. People assume Mm -hmm. that you have to have the answer or you must have it your way. When a lot of times all of us are operating out of places of of, of responses to our own history. So really good points that you bring up, you know, talking about, you know, where is the family coming from? What is it that they're looking to obtain and achieve? What are their hopes for their, you know, child? I think one indicator I see as a provider from a colleague-to-colleague perspective that gives me a lot of respect um, for another behavior analyst is when they tell a family, hey, this is what you should look for. Here's what I can Mm -hmm. provide. Here's what someone else might be able to. They give that sort of comparison and contrast, and there's no, um, you know, stake in the game, if you will. So that's that's really helpful. what would be your kind of imparting wisdom to a brand new behavior analyst who wants to do nothing but good in the world, who's going out there, who might be encountering a family, and that family might be meeting that behavior analyst as their first, you know, per point of professional mm-hmm. contact in the field? Like, what what do you want to tell that professional? I'm trying to think back when I was a newbie in this field and to where I'm at today. I think I've consistently have always been honest with my families and said, you know, I am almost sitting in for my board exam. This is where I'm at. Um, so then RBTs didn't exist, but I was just, you know, in behavioral um, tech. And um, so just being honest where I'm at with my level of expertise. Um, even when I was five years into, I'm like, okay, well, I have experience in this area. Just kind of giving them a really brief, you know, what is my resume and where I'm at today. And if they would like that, then that's great. And if not, I can certainly point to someone else with more expertise in whichever area they want their child to access um, services, even though I can provide it. But, yes, there are definitely individuals who are much more well-known doing a lot more research, have their own clinics and just really great researchers out there, um, behavior analysts. So I'm just willing to lay it out and just be frank because everyone deserves the right to the best services that they think they can possibly get for their child. Really solid advice. I think, you know, a, a budding behavior analyst should feel comfortable that they are competent, that they do have skills, that they have a lot to contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, you know, even myself when I was, you know, new, even now, you know, almost 20 years into practice, I'm still asking colleagues for advice, questioning mm-hmm. myself, you know, not not to the point where I don't feel confident, but always where I'm inquisitive. And so I want to see behavior analysts who've been in the field for, you know, like 10, 20 years to continue to be inquisitive. But I also want budding behavior analysts to develop their level of competence. And Mm -hmm. I like that you talked about being honest and giving sort of that barometer for where they're at, but also giving them the instruction to don't be offended if somebody's Mm -hmm. asking these these questions. This This is their child. You know, this is their heart on their sleeve. 
And then you, you also kind of bring us all back to the point of referring out if it's outside of our area of competence or making sure that we are obtaining mentorship or supervision, I think is really important. So Kim, thank you so much for your time today and for everything that you had to offer and for everything that you do continue to do for our field. We, you know, you're very much appreciated. So um, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. No problem. And for more information about applied behavior analysis or anything that we covered here today, visit me at www.behaviorbabe.com. 